It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday, and it is August the 23rd, 2019. Hard to believe summer drawing to a close. We're just a few weeks away from the beginning of fall, the beginning of school. For some folks out there, your kids are already back in school. I don't know if that's good news or bad news, but it is what it is. And I thank you so much for joining me at the end of yet another crazy week here in the United States, where immigration leads the uh, headlines all too frequently. <clears throat> Actually, it should have been leading the headlines frequently for the past several decades, but the media has always downplayed the true significance of border security and immigration law enforcement, uh, even after 9-11, even after it was apparent that, that the, the terror attacks, not only of 9-11, but other attacks were only possible because of multiple failures of the immigration system, immigration still has been ignored. And even today, if you look at the statements made by the politicians, the mainstream media, it is rare, almost impossible to see instances where that nexus between border security, immigration, and national security are concerned. And whenever you report on immigration, or whenever you read the reports, rather than you report, but whenever the media, the mainstream media reports on immigration, the emphasis is always on how border security, immigration law enforcement might impact the quote-unquote immigrants, a.k.a. illegal aliens, but they never seem to care how American lawful immigrants, American children, uh, national security, public safety, public health, and a host of other issues are being impacted by the continuing failures of the immigration system. Those of you who are familiar with me know that I speak from a position of authority. Uh, I was an INS agent for 30 years. I rotated through all the squads within the investigations branch of the New York office. And before that, I spent four years as an immigration inspector assigned to Kennedy Airport here in New York City. And for one of those four years, <clears throat> I was assigned as an adjudications officer to adjudicate the applications for residency based on the marriage of aliens to either lawful immigrants or United States citizens. So in a very real sense, I took the grand tour. And I've been before a bunch of congressional hearings. I gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission, uh, although I suspect it is not likely that I'll be called back for any more hearings, although I've already been before 17, I believe, such hearings. But really, folks, what they need in Washington aren't hearings, but listenings. And the purpose of my program 
my mission, uh, so to speak, ever since those ashes from the conflagration at nine uh, at, at, nine, at ground zero on nine eleven landed on my house, uh, I made it a point to provide my perspectives, my experience on the immigration issue to as many of our fellow Americans as possible, because it was multiple failures of that broken, dysfunctional system that not only enabled the attacks of 9-11, but so many other attacks. It has facilitated the entry of terrorists, as well as criminals, as well as gang members into our country. The carnage has been unbelievable, but yet the media refuses to connect those dots. Well, we connect them here on my program. I also connect them working with Dennis Michael Lynch over at DMLnews.com. In fact, I was hosting his website's podcasts all week this week at DML News, Team DML. Um, I was with Dennis a couple of weeks ago at his beautiful home out in the Hamptons, filming a documentary with him. <clears throat> that should be out soon. Um, I'm doing everything that I can, to put it as succinctly as I can, to try to educate as many of our fellow countrymen as possible. Immigration is not about race. It's not about religion. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about bigotry. <clears throat> it's simply about making a clear distinction between people who are citizens of our country and people who are not. And the legal term for somebody who is not a citizen is alien. It's not an insult. It's not a pejorative. The open borders crowd hate the word alien, Unless, of course, it's the A in DREAM Act, alien minors, the hypocrisy is unlimited. But they hate that word alien because it provides clarity to an issue that they have tried to make as murky as possible, the same way that con artists swindle people, the same way that burglars break in under the safety of darkness. It's not that the aliens are hiding in the shadows. It's that they're globalists and their friends in the mainstream media have been hiding the truth from the American people in the shadows. This isn't about being politically correct. They are being Orwellian, and their goal is to obfuscate the truth through the use, artful, deceptive use of language. So we'll, we break all that down right here on this program each and every week, and in my writings for Front Page Magazine, as well as the materials that of late I've been writing for dmlnews.com as well. So let's get started. <clears throat> Yesterday, Thursday, the 22nd, uh, I was on Fox and Friends first at 5.15 in the morning, East Coast time. I jokingly refer to those early morning uh, interviews as the acquiring jet lag without travel. You know, you're up at 3 o'clock in the morning, the car picks you up at 4 o'clock, and you try to get both eyes open in time for the time that you're in front of the cameras. And what shocked me, because I had missed seeing this, you know, there was so much coming at us so quickly that I sometimes feel as though I'm standing under Niagara Falls with an eight-ounce glass trying to catch all the water, and it just doesn't work. I got an email from the producers at Fox on uh, Wednesday evening, and they said, do you know that they've just found out that CBP and ICE have failed to use um, DNA testing not to reunite the families or make certain that aliens coming with um, supposed parents at the border are really related to the people, because we know that the smugglers have been trafficking children to create bogus families, because under the Flores decision, aliens with children can't be held more than 20 days. So 
children in that case have become literally get out of jail cards. So we have kids being brought into the country by people who aren't their parents and mostly young children. The ideal age for such a child is a child who's under the age of two years old because you can't interview them. You can't say to a six-month-old baby, is this man your father? And in fact, just a couple of months ago, I wrote a story about an illegal alien coming across the border, wading across the Rio Grande with a five-month-old infant in his arms. Initially, he claimed that that infant was his, and then eventually he admitted that, no, he's not the father. God knows where the parents are. We're being told that the smugglers are renting children. Maybe, maybe there are enough crazy people out there that would do that, enough desperate people out there that perhaps would rent a child. I can't imagine anybody. And anybody who would do that, by the way, should lose custody of that child for the reckless endangerment of the life of that child, turning a child over to an alien smuggler. Uh, goodness, I, I mean, they have a voracious appetite for victims. If, if you uh, know anything about Spanish jargon and, and along the border, you know, the slang, um, they referred to smugglers as coyotes. Same word in English, coyote, you know. And they referred to the smuggled alien as pollos. Pollo is chicken. Do you know why they referred to smuggled aliens as chickens and the smugglers as coyotes? Because coyotes have a diet of chicken. They love to kill chickens. And if you look at the violence perpetrated by the human traffickers, they rape young girls, they beat and rob people, they kill people. They are supremely violent. They are pernicious. They are as sociopathic as they come. I put them up there just one notch under terrorists. The number of people they kill is beyond belief. <clears throat> I was part of the anti-smuggling unit in New York City. Um, the things that we encountered kept me awake at night for weeks. It was just endless. We had one case of a family asking to have their uncle brought to them, and the smugglers refused. They said, we want more money. They were shaking the family down for still more money. They had given them thousands, and they wanted more. So they arranged to send more money, and they woke up the next morning to the horror of the dead body of their uncle in front of their house lying on the pavement, lying on the front lawn. The guy died in transit. They paid more money, and they got the guy's dead body that they could now bury in the United States. This is the kind of stuff we're dealing with. So you're turning children over to these sociopaths. My goodness. I also have a strong sense that perhaps many of these kids aren't being quote-unquote rented, but kidnapped. And so we have a very serious problem. And so um, we did two stories at Fox. First of all, they wanted to know about the fact that they weren't using DNA testing. And then they wanted to know my take about the president's plan to hold people, aliens, indefinitely, even if they come with children. So when they told me about the DNA uh, situation, I was not aware of it. It blew me away. Apparently, a couple of whistleblowers had come forward and said, you know what? I believe it was ICE only fingerprints, or rather collect DNA from 3% of the people that they take into custody. In 2005, a law was signed by President Bush that mandated that aliens who are arrested would have their DNA taken so we could positively identify them to identify criminals and terrorists. 2005, four years after 9-11. That makes sense. 
Well, by the time we got to the Obama administration, apparently Janet Napolitano asked the attorney general for a waiver, said, oh, we don't have the resources for this. We don't want to be bothered. And, of course, Obama's attorney general said, sure, no problem here. Well, it turns out that that practice is still continuing. They are only processing a tiny percentage, maybe one, two percent. This is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. And in fact, there was an article that was published by Fox News about this very issue. And and they made the point that, um, let me see if I could find the exact quote, because it it blew my mind. Uh, But let me start out reading this. This is actually the Fox News piece that uh, predicated my appearance on Fox, Fox and Friends First, yesterday. Starts out saying exclusive. The top government watchdog on Wednesday alerted President Trump and Congress that Customs and Border Protection, through a, quote, disturbing pattern of misconduct, had endangered the public for nearly a decade by failing to comply with a federal law requiring that the agency collect DNA samples from detained migrants. In a scathing letter to Trump exclusively obtained by Fox News, the U.S. Office of Special Counsel said that CBP's noncompliance, CBP, of course, Customs and Border Protection's noncompliance with the law, allowed subjects subsequently accused of violent crimes, including homicide and sexual assault, to elude detection even when detained multiple times by CBP or Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The OSC, Office of Special Counsel, told the White House that it was taking the strongest possible step to rebuke the agency's failure to comply with the law as well as the unreasonable attempts to defend its own conduct. Think about that. Under the law, CBP was required to collect DNA from individuals in its custody to be run against FBI violent crime databases. The procedure is separate from the DNA collection designed to establish family relationships among migrants at the border, uh, which is, of course, what I was just describing to you. After this article was published, the Department of Homeland Security, DHS official, told Fox News late Wednesday that the agency was now going to work closely with the DOJ on a path forward on DNA collection. Currently, the official said DHS was operating under determination that an Obama-era waiver of the DNA collection requirements was in effect. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm a supporter of Donald Trump. He's the only candidate. He's the only show in town. He was the one who ran on the promise of border security. But there's a lot more here than a border wall, folks. There's an awful lot more at stake than a border wall. I've made the comparison repeatedly that while a wall on the dangerous Mexican border is essential, I'm not saying it's not. It is. We need it. We need it badly. But it would only represent one element of a multi-pronged system. There are many moving parts. I compare the wall on the border to a wing on an airplane. Without the wing, the airplane doesn't fly, but the wing by itself goes nowhere. And we don't see that approach to immigration law enforcement, not from the Trump administration either. We have 6,000 ICE agents, 6,000 ICE agents, and more than half of the time they're not doing immigration work. The C in ICE is customs. Customs has nothing to do with immigration. Prior to the creation of what I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender, DHS, Treasury ran customs. It's an agency that is geared towards interdicting contraband and levying tariffs and duties on imported goods. That has absolutely less than nothing to do with immigration. 
Immigration, on the other hand, before DHS was created, was under the auspices of the Justice Department. They could not be more two dissimilar agencies except for one factor. They both deal with America's borders. When you get beyond the border, literally and figuratively, they part company. And when Bush created DHS, for the most part, with a couple of exceptions, the people that ran ICE came from customs, not immigration. The Bush administration was dead set against, opposed, did everything possible to obstruct the enforcement of our immigration laws, the securing of our borders, all went out the window. The first director of Citizenship and Immigration Services under George W. Bush, remember, this is a brand new agency, USCIS adjudicates applications for citizenship, for political asylum, for green cards, student visas, and so forth. The guy in charge of it, I have to tell you the story quickly. In 2005, um, I was called by the House Immigration Subcommittee. These were Republicans, furious at their own president. When I say their own president, the president is uh, the president for all of us, but he was from their party, okay? Republican Congress, Republican president. They called me up. They were beside themselves. They said, Mike, do you know that Congress just gave President Bush enough money to hire 800 new ICE agents and 2,000 more Border Patrol agents? And with the Border Patrol, it would have been for that year and for the next four years, 2,000 more each year. It takes time to train and recruit and screen and so forth. I said, wonderful, those are very low numbers, and the number of ICE agents is ridiculous. So the council said to me, well, if you're upset with, two, uh, with 800 new ICE agents, you're really going to be upset now. I said, what do you mean? Well, Congress gave the president the money to hire 800 agents, but he simply slashed that to 143. I will never forget those numbers. I said, how the hell did we go from 800 to 143? And they said, I don't know. Why did you call the White House? It was serious. And he cut the 2,000 Border Patrol agents down to 210 Border Patrol agents. And they said, are you willing to testify? I said, am I willing? Try to stop me. So I went home and did my homework and found out that Eduardo Aguirre, who at the time was the first director of Citizenship and Immigration Services, had just testified before the same subcommittee on the resources that the administration provided him. And, of course, he said that everything was wonderful. The sun was shining, and there isn't a single thing more that he could possibly have asked for because he had attained perfection working for the president. Of course, he was Bush's ventriloquist dummy, the same way that many chiefs of police who speak out against sanctuary, who speak out in favor of sanctuary policies are the ventriloquist dummies for the mayors who promulgate sanctuary policies. These are politicians, okay? I don't care that they wear a uniform and a badge. If you're a chief of police, you know which way the wind is blowing, and the wind blows from the mayor's office. Similarly, you've got the head of Citizenship and Immigration Services. I I think of that job as the locksmith to America. A green card is the key to America's front door. Citizenship is the platinum key to America's front door. So this guy is America's locksmith, handing out the keys to America's front door. And he said in his prepared testimony before Congress just a week earlier that he had three priorities. Priority one was to clear up the backlog of applications. Well, folks, that might sound good. And I know lots of people say, oh, good, let's cut the red tape. This isn't red tape. Okay? That whole screening process is supposed to uncover fraud, supposed to make certain that the people applying aren't criminals or terrorists. There's a lot that goes into it. You know, I testified before the House Immigration Subcommittee 
uh, six months right after 9-11 because it was determined that two of the dead terrorists, including the ringleader, Mohammed Atta, had been granted permission to go to flight school six months after 9-11. By then, the whole damn world knew that these guys were dead and they were terrorists. That mission of adjudicating those applications now falls to the agency known as Citizenship and Immigration Services. So it's not just rubber stamping. So when you have the guy running that agency saying, my number one goal is to clear up the backlog, what he's really saying is his number one goal is to twist the arms of the adjudicators and make sure they hit those applications with that approval stamp as quickly and uh, repeatedly as possible. There goes the integrity to that process, which the 9-11 Commission identified as nothing less than national security. So that didn't make me happy. His second priority, Aguirre's second priority, was improve customer service. Boy, let's get out the warm fuzzies. Here we go, a security blanket. How nice. His third priority was to enhance national security. It froze me in place. It frosted my tail. I thought my head was going to explode. Your first priority is to run that approval stamp as rapidly as possible. Your second priority is to make everybody smile. And your third priority, four years after 9-11, is national security. Isn't that fast, backwards? Shouldn't national security always, 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 always be number one? Always. How did it become number three behind cranking them out and customer service? My level of rage was in the stratosphere. I'm sure they picked it up on the seismometers. So I looked this guy's background up, and Eduardo Aguirre, the director of Citizenship and Immigration Services, had been the president of the private international bank of the Bank of America, the first bank to accept Mexican matricula cards after the FBI warned that those cards were a threat to national security because they could not verify the identities of the people who carried the cards. And in point of fact, the FBI noted that um, Iranians and other Middle Eastern men from countries that sponsor terrorism had been caught along the Mexican border carrying Mexican matricula cards that were authentic, but obviously improperly issued to them. Stephen McGraw testified about this before a House Immigration Subcommittee hearing, I believe in 2003, and at the time Stephen McGraw was certainly an expert he was the director of intelligence for the FBI in Washington. And the Bank of America basically thumbed their nose at the FBI and said, ha, we'll do what we want. Well, the guy that was saying ha, or one of the guys who said ha, is now running Citizenship and Immigration Services under George W. Bush. And he posts on his website that he is a globalist, that he's gotten awards and honorary degrees from Beijing and Santa Domingo, the wolf guarding the hen house. This has been going on forever. It's not on the left or on the right. It's on both sides. If you want to find collusion in the United States government, look at both parties and look at immigration. They stand shoulder to shoulder. They are eye to eye, and they're in total agreement with each other. The Gang of Eight or Eight Gangsters is a microcosm of where both parties are on immigration with a couple of notable exceptions. And in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine about how the House 
Republicans and Democrats got together and uh, voted for a bill that would um, provide a quick pass to green cards for H-1B visa holders and basically give India 90% of the H-1Bs, and these are the visas that are displacing high-tech American workers. It would also make it easier for China to invest money in the United States so its people could then get resident alien status. You know, the same China that we're having real national security issues with. And what's so remarkable was the media didn't report on it. When the media talks about Congress, oh, you know, the Democrats and Republicans will never agree on immigration. Oh, no, 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 of course not. And the Democrats and Republicans will never agree on anything. No, 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 no. But here, this bill sailed through the voting process without a single hearing, without a single amendment, without a single objection, and it passed by something like three-quarters of the vote. Don't tell me that there isn't collusion in Washington. But the collusion happens only when it involves screwing Americans. If you come up with a bill that shafts American workers, you can easily get bipartisan approval. Now, if you hurt companies or special interest groups, you can wait till hell freezes over. But when you can screw over Americans, boy, they put on their running shoes and they run like little midgets into that room and they vote quickly. Yes, let's pass it. We're screwing Americans. Wonderful. It's going to make our campaign contributors thrilled. Let's do it. We are getting shafted every time those politicians get together and vote on immigration issues. They don't vote for more agents. God forbid you might find crooked employers. You might find aliens working illegally and committing fraud, maybe preparing for the next terrorist attack. And you really don't want more immigration agents because they might find crooked immigration lawyers. When I was the adjudications officer in point of fact, (laughs) only in New York, we uncovered a marriage fraud ring that was hooking up Chinese crewmen who jumped ship, couldn't speak a word of English, with Puerto Rican lesbian hookers who couldn't speak a word of Chinese, and they were half the age of their crewmen husbands, so-called. We wound up putting an immigration attorney in jail. We could put a lot more in jail if we had many more agents. I don't think Congress wants that, though. How many members of Congress are lawyers? We have a serious problem. And the biggest problem isn't immigration. It's the corruption of our own government that does not look out for the best interests of America or Americans, but for the people they work for. Now, they're supposed to work for us, but that's not the case. They work for the people who write the check, and the check that they're looking for isn't their paycheck. It's their political campaign contribution. That's who they work for. All they've got to do is con the American people into believing nonsense, which is not hard at all. Look at the garbage that's peddled on TV as entertainment. Goodness. But meanwhile, they make damn sure to placate the guys with the big fat checkbooks. So now we see that the president backed George W. Bush, did do the right thing after 9-11. We're going to DNA test everybody. And along comes Obama. And immediately Napolitano says to the attorney general, we don't have the resources. I want a waiver. They give them a waiver. Well, the waiver continues to this day. Where's President Trump? I don't know. Is he missing in action? Where's Stephen Miller? Is he missing in action? Is anybody paying attention? Or are we just looking for headlines? I'm tired of headlines. I want to see results. I did this damn job for 30 years. I'm sick of what I'm reading every time I pick up a newspaper. This is the gang that couldn't shoot straight. The gang that couldn't shoot straight. 
then these aren't victimless crimes, folks. Anything but. Let me continue reading this article. One troubling case of an alien released, noted in the letter, involved a suspect in a 2009 Denver homicide that's under Obama, who had several, quote, several interactions with law enforcement, including two arrests, but was allowed to go free until investigators finally collected a DNA sample in 2017. In another instance, a suspect in two particularly brutal sexual assaults that occurred in 1997 eluded detection despite being in federal custody on nine separate occasions before finally being connected to the crime in March 2019 after a DNA sample was collected. So we're turning people loose on society. They're raping and killing and beating and robbing and stabbing. And we have a very powerful tool in the DNA testing that's not being used. When Fox News reached out to me on Wednesday, I said, you know, this all reminds me of the case involving a Mexican by the name of Angel or Angel. uh, um, I'm trying to recall the guy's full name. Ramirez Sanchez, I believe it was. I have to check my notes on this. So you have a – here we are. Bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. The guy's full name was Angel Matarino Resendez Ramirez, who was also known as the Railway Killer. Now, the interesting story about Resendez Ramirez, and you may find this interesting, I hope you do, an exemplary or or, or providing an example of how screwed up we are. This individual first entered the United States as far as we can determine. We never know when people really run the border. This comes back. <clears throat> to this idea, well, if someone's been living in the United States for a certain number of years, then we should give them lawful status. Unless you have the resources to go out and knock on doors and interview people and show photographs, how do you know when someone entered the United States if they run the border? There's no record of entry created. This nonsense. Well, if the guy's been living here for 12 years, okay. And how do you make that determination that the guy hasn't been here 12 hours? Because they say so? I mean, they wouldn't lie, would they? So, Angel... Matarino Resendez Ramirez enters the United States, gets deported at least four times by the Border Patrol. Each time the guy's using a different name, but the Border Patrol doesn't know. Uh, and by the way, back then when we fingerprinted people, this is something you're not going to believe, and I, I couldn't believe it. You know, uh, most city police, New York City cops, so forth, they fingerprint someone, they send it electronically to Albany, and then they determine if the guy has a record. The FBI was doing that. Back in the 70s, we used to mail the fingerprint card. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We would mail the fingerprint card. All that was missing was the guy from the Pony Express showing up on horseback. You would arrest somebody at the end of the week. They would take the fingerprint cards down to the mail room, and they'd mail them in. Where were the aliens at this point? God knows. Deported, released. We didn't know. We didn't care. The Immigration Service was always the agency that refused to take itself seriously. So you mail in the fingerprint cards, and about three weeks later, four weeks later, five weeks later, you get a notice from the FBI. Where is this guy? He's killed 12 people. We need him. Oh, we deported him last Thursday. That's the way we operated. That's the way we operated. So Resendez Ramirez gets arrested by the Border Patrol. They fingerprint him. They send him back to Mexico. And he's in the wind. He comes back. He kills more people. According to published reports, 
Resendez Ramirez killed at least 15 people along the U.S.-Mexican border, 15 people, and multiple times, at least four that we know of, he was arrested and deported by the Border Patrol, simply hopped back across the border, killed more people, got arrested, got sent back. Eventually, in the 90s, he gets caught. The fingerprints finally catch up with him. The trail of dead bodies finally catches up with him. He's put on trial. He's ultimately executed. But at least 15 people are dead because the Pony Express was dealing with immigration. When I did my very first congressional hearing, it was back on May 20th, 1997, and the topic of the hearing was immigration fraud and immigration benefit fraud. And the, pre- the predication for that hearing were the two terrorist attacks carried out in the United States in 1993. First, you have a guy by the name of Mir Amil Kansi shoot up the CIA in January 93. He had applied for political asylum. He's a citizen of Pakistan. He fled the country. By the way, he bought into a courier van. The courier van had a pass that allowed them to park the van in the parking lot of the CIA. So he used that van to pull into the parking lot, pull out an AK-47, and open fire. Think about that. We're giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens. We have no idea who the hell they are. There's a no-fly list if you want to get on an airplane, but there's certainly no, no drive list. And I wrote about this for Front Page Mag. So you now have New York State, the state that was hammered the worst on 9-11, providing illegal aliens with driver's licenses. We don't know with certainty who the hell these people are. And with that driver's license, they can hop on an airplane, go anywhere in the country, rent a truck, rent a vehicle, because today the weapon of mass destruction most frequently used by terrorists around the world are motor vehicles. To my knowledge, there hasn't been a single terror attack involving an airplane since 9-11, but there's been many attacks involving motor vehicles. How brilliant. How brilliant. I think the governor wants the MVP award from ISIS, but what do I know? So you've got that going on. You've got Resendez Ramirez. I'm sorry to say you've got the the two dead, um, the the two deadly terrorist attacks. First, the CIA. And then we have in in February of 93, the bombing at the Trade Center, again, involving men from the Middle East, aliens in our country who claim political asylum, entered on phony documents, um, made false claims to asylum, all kinds of crazy stuff, all gaming the immigration system. They blow up a bomb, almost bring the tower down sideways. Six people are killed, over a 1,000 are injured. There's a half billion, with a B, half billion dollars in damage to the iconic World Trade Center complex. The Vista Hotel, which was part of it, almost collapsed into its own basement because the bomb was set off in the garage under that complex. If the Trade Center had actually toppled sideways into the other tower, I don't even want to think about what the carnage would have been. 6,000 is, is terrible. Of six, I'm sorry, six dead are, is terrible, and 1,000 injured is horrific. But you could have had, I don't know how many thousands of dead bodies if the tower had toppled into the other tower, and the seawall keeping the Hudson River out of lower Manhattan would have been breached. That's what I was told by the engineers who did the investigation. They came very close. I was told by some of my friends at the FBI and ATF because they spoke with the engineers who said that if they had parked the van that had the explosives on the opposite wall of the garage, or if they had filled the van to the top with explosives, they probably would have toppled the tower, 110-story tall building. 
1,500 feet tall, just about, a quarter of a mile high. Could you imagine? And the Clinton administration did bupkis about it. In fact, they implemented a program called Citizenship USA, where they swept 1.1 million applications for citizenship through the system so quickly that frequently they granted citizenship before fingerprints even came back. But back in 97, when I testified, I, I was asked by Lamar Smith, who was the chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee back then, he said, Mike, you are an adjudicator, you are an inspector, you're a special agent. You've worked cases involving international terrorism and drug trafficking. Is there a common deficiency that you saw in all of those positions? And I wanted to say, yes, yeah, some of the bosses that I worked for, or the lack of resources. There's so many answers I could have given. But what I decided to go after was the lack of reliable biometrics. I said, we have no idea who in the world we are arresting. We're turning people loose. We don't know who these people are. It's dangerous. Within a year, I was told because of my statement at that hearing, Raytheon was given a very nice contract by the Justice Department to implement a partial fingerprint system, but it was only an internal fingerprint, not involving NCIC, the National Crime Information Center, which it should have, which it should have. But it was a step in the right direction. We started to use real-time processing. And I will tell you that before that happened, I had friends up at DEA where I could bring fingerprint cards if I was particularly suspicious of somebody. And they had a fax machine that's used for fingerprints. And, again, we're talking about in the 90s, so this thing was, was a relic. It almost looked like Thomas Alva, Alva Edison's photograph, you know, a cylinder. They would clip the fingerprint card onto a cylinder. It would spin, and a little device would, would pick up line by line by line on that fingerprint card. It had to be very high definition, and they would send it directly down to the FBI in Washington within a matter of maybe 10, 15 minutes, and then they would work on it and come back and tell us if the guy was wanted. And very often we found that we had picked up fugitives, people wanted for murder, armed robbery. The warrant squad from the NYPD was a frequent visitor to our office when I did this. We were also getting the U.S. Marshals showing up because we were finding federal fugitives. But I remember one case in particular that stood out, and uh, I was working closely with the police in the 71st Precinct in Crown Heights in New York City. And when you hear this nonsense that the cops and immigration should never work together, it hurts community policing, that's a big lie. Because I was an immigration agent and I could help with people that cooperated, keep them here, get them permission to work and so forth, uh, I was flipping informants faster than, McDonald's, than uh, Burger King can flip hamburgers or House of Pancakes can flip pancakes. People were cooperating because we worked with them. But you're not hearing that from the liars who call themselves our representatives or our mayors. God forbid they tell you the truth. They're a bunch of pathological liars. I sometimes wonder if they now believe their own lies. So on this particular occasion, two guys ran a red light. The anti-crime cops pulled them over, and there was this big guy, he was an Italian kid. I don't think he was 30 years old. He looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger on steroids, literally. And this one yo-yo jumps out of the car with dreadlocks down to the middle of his back, and throws a punch at this police officer who was three times his size, and the cop returned the favor and apparently broke the guy's jaw. When the guy hit the ground, a gun popped out of his waistband. The guy spoke with a heavy West Indian accent. They both did. And the guy swore that he was born down south in Chicago. I kid you not, down south in Chicago. When everybody stopped laughing, they took these guys into custody. 
They charged them with that gun. They charged them with assault on a police officer. They called me up, and they said, can you do anything with this? I went down to Central Booking, and I interviewed them. I told them, I'm an immigration agent. I know you're from another country. Where are you from? I was guessing Jamaica. They kept swearing they were from down south in Chicago. I said, okay, I give up. I took the fingerprint, went to DEA. They ran the fingerprints. In the middle of the night, my, my first wife, may she rest in peace, used to do a job where she would get phone calls all the time at night. She was a systems programmer. Computer rooms run 24-7. Phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning. She instinctively picks it up and, and rolls over and hands me the phone. She says, I don't think they want to talk to me. It's the FBI in Washington. I said, no, they probably don't want you. They probably want me. I grabbed the phone. There's a woman on the phone. She said to me, Agent Cutler, this is FBI headquarters. Where are these two individuals? We need them badly. I said, how badly do you need them? I felt like Johnny Carson with the old Ed McMahon routine. How badly do you need them? She said, well, they were about to go on the 10 most wanted list. They have been committing a string of deadly bank robberies where they walk into a bank, and before they say anything, they shoot the guard, and then they make their demand for money known. They've killed a bunch of people. They've wounded a bunch of people. Where are they? How did they find out about it? They ran the fingerprints, and the prints came back that these guys were wanted. The bank robbery task force came down in the morning. From what I was told, these two pieces of garbage got life without parole, and we ended their murderous spree across New York City. That's how important these tools are to us. If Resendez Ramirez had been properly identified, 15 people would not have died, you see? And so now we're being told that the Congress votes for a piece of legislation in the wake of 9-11 that mandates that DNA be taken from everybody in immigration custody. It is lawful. It is no different from using fingerprinting. There's been court decisions on this. Biometrics identify people, and criminals and terrorists have one common trait. They lie particularly about their identities, to cover their tracks. And now we come to find out that for 10 years, never mind that the Congress passed the law, immigration has failed to do the job. Heads need to roll over this. This isn't a game. People are dying. There's a bloodbath out there. And trying to keep up with all of the craziness is almost impossible. When I got off the phone with the producer at Fox, I can't tell you how angry I was. I was in a state of rage. I was in a state of rage. This isn't just a matter of a lack of following procedure. Lots of procedures are stupid. But this is a level of malfeasance that's costing people their lives, getting people raped, getting people injured. And it's preventable. That word is what sticks in my head. Preventable. 9-11 was preventable. We had hearing after hearing after hearing after the, the attacks in, in, in 93. But I hate to say this, only after the Republicans came in. It seemed as though the Democrats didn't even want to know about it. And so you have a hearing about immigration fraud and visa fraud, and the Clinton administration runs 1.1 million applications for citizenship through the system faster than you know what goes through a goose. This isn't oversight. This isn't negligence. This is malfeasance. And people have died because of it. This is not victimless crimes. 
Absolutely not. Now, I don't think that anybody there said, oh, good, let's give these bastards an opportunity to kill people. But basically, that's what they did. You want to give them the benefit of a doubt and call it unattended consequence? I think they just don't give a damn. To them, the victims of criminal aliens are speed bumps. The Chamber of Commerce is far more concerned with head counts on airplanes and head counts in baseball stadiums and theaters than they are with body counts in the morgue. They just don't give a rat's tail. That's the damn problem. If I sound revved, forgive me, but I am. I did this job for 30 years. I testified at the trial of a piece of trash who I had physically deported, a guy by the name of Ronaldo Rayside from Panama, not Mexico. He was a drug dealer who lost his green card because of multiple violent crimes that he was convicted of involving drugs and guns. Comes back to New York. This is the late 80s. NYPD is prohibited from letting immigration know, God forbid, we might hurt the immigrants. Going back to then, this was actually under Ed Koch, and I thought Koch was a good mayor, but for the sanctuary nonsense. So the third time that this guy gets contacted by the NYPD, he winds up in a gun battle and kills a 24-year-old police officer. I testified at that murder trial. I sat on that witness stand, and I looked into the audience, and there is Officer Robert Machadi's father, his mother, his wife, who had given birth after he was killed. And years later, by accident, they met his daughter that he would never meet. She was working as a checkout clerk in the local supermarket. And the way I came to find out who she was, I noticed she was wearing a miniature police badge around her neck. I asked her who the cop was. She said her dad. And I said, where does he work? And she said, he's dead. And then she said, look, forgive me if I seem emotionless. I never met him. I said, oh, my gosh, and then I realized who it was. These aren't victimless crimes, folks. And I'm so sick of people referring to this as a conservative issue. I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. I'm a labor guy. My dad was a construction worker, a tradesman. Tradesmen built America. There was a wonderful segment uh, on uh, Fox, uh, Steve Ducey, and, and one of the actors in Cheers, Ducey had talked about how when he was a kid, he was a plumber's helper. And the actor from Cheers said that he had been a carpenter. And my dad was a plumber, not a repair guy, but the guy that did construction. He worked on the World's Fair. He worked on Kennedy Airport. And they said, you know, we keep calling these people that do these backbreaking, dangerous, but very talented jobs. You can't be a good carpenter or electrician or plumber without really having a lot of smarts. It's as much a profession as anything, folks. Believe me, it is. And they said, you know, why do we call it blue-collar work? Why don't they call it what it really is? Essential work. And so we're flooding America with foreign workers who don't do the same quality of work. They undermine the wages for Americans. They're destroying the middle class by design. That's the people in power, the top one percenters. They're so filled with greed, all they want is money, 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 and money, because they know the price of everything and the value of nothing, and we're paying the price. And people say, oh, those conservative wingnuts, they want secure borders. Do you need to be a conservative wingnut to lock your door at night? You would think it's common sense. If you have children, you know you're always filled with trepidation the first time you leave the house with your child alone. And you say, don't open the door. If someone knocks on the door, call me up on my cell. Don't open the door. 
because you don't trust that they're going to have good enough judgment to know who to open the door to. But sooner or later, you've got to reach the point where you go out for a half hour. And, 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 and you know, what's on your mind is, you know, your 12-year-old your, your or your 10-year-old is in the house by themselves. And, gee, I hope they don't open the door and you give them all these instructions. Because opening the door is a very big deal. It should be no less of a big deal when you look at what we're doing on our own border, not to keep out the immigrants, but to keep out the criminals and the drug dealers and that sort of thing. There's now, uh, there was a, a leaked report that they're showing people at ports of entry how to screen for the Ebola virus. I kid you not, the Ebola virus is an outbreak in Africa. Ellis Island was a quarantine station. Aliens with dangerous communicable diseases are to be kept out of the country. And we're doing a lousy job. We have people coming down with viruses we've never seen in America before or viruses we thought we got rid of. These are failures of immigration in many cases. And no, this isn't about throwing bricks at the immigrants. If anybody is being harmed by this nonsense and this failure, this willful failure to use honest language, it's lawful immigrants because the open borders crowd does not want to make a distinction between people who legally immigrate to America and people who are here illegally. They call them all immigrants. What does that do to the credibility of people who indeed are lawful immigrants? I'll give you some clarity. The difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. Why would you discredit lawful immigrants and dishonor America's long tradition of being the most welcoming nation on the planet? And it still is. For all the complaints we hear about the Trump administration, last year the Trump administration admitted more than a million lawful immigrants. In fact, the number last year surpassed, as far as I can recall, the number of immigrants lawfully admitted during the last year of the Obama administration. This isn't an anti-immigrant position. It's a pro-enforcement position. But this goes back to the Ministry of Truth, a.k.a. the mainstream media, that lies through its teeth. And then we get to the president saying we're going to hold on to people indefinitely until their cases can be adjudicated when they enter the country illegally, even if they come with kids. And Benny Thompson and all the Democrats are having a cow. Oh, my God. And you've got Bernie Sanders out there screaming. And Bernie Sanders, by the way, used to be very strong in favor of secure borders to protect American jobs. But he doesn't really care. He wants those campaign contributions. So he's changed his tune. And then you got Elizabeth Warren. And I find it remarkable. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Elizabeth Warren recently apologized and got a rousing level of applause. She apologized for lying about her supposed American, um, Native American ethnic roots. Did she not know who she was? She's admitted to lying, and she gets a round of applause. How do you trust somebody who lies about who they are? We've lost our minds in this country. We've lost our minds. There's no integrity, and there's no common sense. So when you have politicians with no integrity and voters with no common sense, we get screwed. That's what's really going on. We're being screwed. We should change the mascot of the bald eagle to a giant screw that's slowly turning. What an image. So they're attacking the president for hurting the children. The Flores decision is what's hurting the children. Because of the Flores decision, you have alien smugglers using kids as get-out-of-jail cards. I said it before, and I want to reiterate the point. 
I believe that what the president is trying to do is to say you're not going to get any benefit by bringing a child with you to try to discourage people from coming here with minor children, with babies. Some of those babies are dying in the desert. What in the world are you supposed to do? When do we stop the madness? If the Democrats had any decency, a shred of moral fiber, and remember, I'm registered as a Democrat. I'm embarrassed to say it because these people sicken me. They infuriate me. They nauseate me. I'm no fan of the Republicans. They're no heroes either. Believe me, they're the first ones that opened up the borders because they wanted cheap, exploitable labor. There's no compassion and exploitation. Both sides of the aisle, literally a pox on both of them. But the president is acting responsibly by trying to disincentivize the exploitation of children, and he's being attacked mercilessly by politicians who frankly don't care how many kids die in the desert, don't care how many kids are brought here by pernicious smugglers. And I wouldn't put it past the smugglers to kill these kids once they've served their purpose. They don't have a problem with killing people. I testified at a hearing where I believe it was a member of the Border Patrol showed a video of two smuggling groups having a blazing gun battle in the middle of the desert because they were trying to steal each other's illegal aliens to collect the money from the families. It's like a bad movie, except it wasn't a movie and it wasn't fiction. It was reality. They showed the bullet-riddled cause. People died. The border is a very dangerous place, but it's only one element of a system that is failing. And once again, we see where it's failing. Something as fundamental and as simple as taking a DNA swab to figure out who you've caught is more than the people at DHS can can do. If this was a willful decision, whoever is behind it needs to be fired. There is no excuse. I don't I don't want to hear what the excuse is. There is none. There is none. There is none. There is none because people are dying as a consequence of what they've been doing. We call it customs and border protection. Where the hell is the protection if you're cutting people loose and not using a powerful tool that you're supposed to use under the law? We're not asking them to do something that the law prevents. And you say, well, they should do it, but they know they can get into trouble, so they're not doing it. I, I understand that. But the exact opposite is happening. The law says they have to do it, and they're not doing it. Folks, if this doesn't make your head want to explode, check for a flatline EEG. Maybe you can no longer fog a mirror. This is where we've come. We've gotten to the point that we have lost control of our borders, and the people that we pay to protect us are asleep at the switch. Much like those prison guards when Epstein, that piece of trash, did himself in, maybe, maybe, who knows. There is such a lack of trust of our government. It's remarkable where we've gone in 50 years. Almost 60 years ago, President Kennedy announced to the world that this nation should commit itself to the goal before the decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. And I met Gene Krantz, the director of uh, flight director for NASA. I met some of those astronauts, Jim Lovell, Dave Scott, Jim McDivitt. And they all said the same thing. It was such an audacious proposal. But I think as Americans, we kind of looked at each other and said, hell, we're Americans. We can do anything. Today, folks, 
we've gotten to the point that I just don't think America can do anything. China is threatening a trade war, and all Wall Street can talk about is profits. China is hell-bent, literally, hell-bent on world domination. We've educated their engineers. We've educated their computer programmers. They hack our computers. They're building up their military. They rattle their sabers at us every day of the week. They built artificial islands in the South China Sea, which were illegal, and then warn our military that if we get too close, look out. And the wealthy call them trade partners. They're not trade partners, folks. They're our adversaries. And President Trump finally is showing some spine and morality, telling American companies, get the hell out of China. We shouldn't have been there in the first place. We moved our factories there to get around EPA and OSHA regulations. And China, the companies there treat their people so horribly that, that families live in factories. Can you picture this? And if you remember a few years ago, there were stories about workers. I think it was at Foxcom was one of those companies throwing themselves out the windows. And what was the solution? Not to address the depression of those workers who felt hopeless, but the government of China told them, put up nets, catch those damn bodies so that they don't make a mess on the sidewalk. I was on a radio show right after that happened, and I jokingly said that if China would have shown some ingenuity, they would have insisted not on nets but trampolines. So these poor bastards throw themselves out the window and they bounce back to their workstation in the factory. And we call them trade partners. And all Wall Street can worry about is how will the so-called trade war impact their profits? China wants to take over the world, including the United States. They're using high technology to give every one of their citizens a social rating. If you do, for example, if you jaywalk and facial recognition cameras pick you up, your child might be thrown out of school. You may not be allowed on a bus because you jaywalked, or maybe you said something you shouldn't have said, or you went to a website on your computer, and Google is helping China. But they won't help our military because they're being too moral. They're supporting a totalitarian regime that gives technology to North Korea and threatens America after we educated their engineers. And Mitt Romney, when he ran for president, said we shouldn't be allowing people that learn their, their high skills in the United States to leave. We ought to be stapling green cards onto their diplomas so they don't go halfway across the world. I have a better idea. Let's start educating American kids when they graduate. The worst they'll do is go halfway across town or maybe halfway across our country. We have to put Americans first, and we have to develop a sense of morality that's been lacking for far too long. And that's where we now stand today. I hope that you find my program is helpful to you. I hope you will check out frontpagemag.com and check out dmlnews.com while you're at it. Uh, again, my goal is to educate as many of our fellow Americans as possible be thought-provoking, and perhaps give you a new way of seeing the immigration issue and give you some arguments that you can use when you sit down with your neighbor for a conversation. And we need to have these conversations, folks. As Americans, we should be celebrating our First Amendment rights. And the way you do that is through debate, discourse, discussion. We can disagree. We're Americans. Some of my closest friends are conservatives as well as liberals, and there's nothing more enjoyable than an honest debate that's based on fact, not nonsense and not lies. 
We as Americans need to focus on what makes us most similar, not what makes us different. And when you look at what makes us similar, there's far more of that than there are those minor issues that divide us as a people. I thank you for joining me. Please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. And I hope again that you will join me next week right here at the same time on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you next week. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.